views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey everyone, I am so thrilled and excited. I actually wish my aunt Brand were here to listen to this interview. Today, we're talking about gender integration, women in the military. First U.S. Army female inspector general joining us here today, retired U.S. Army Brigadier General Evelyn Patricia Pat, Pat, like me, uh, footmarking. Here's the deal. What is it about my Aunt Fran? Well, the most memorable picture I have of her is absolutely perfectly standing tall, full uniform as she served our country. I had no idea at the time that when I looked at this picture of my aunt, that she was one of the few, but now the world is changing. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. What do you think about my recollection of my aunt in her full army outfit, right? And none of us really talked about it. Welcome to the show. Was she in World War II? Yes. Did she serve in World War II? Yes, she did. Yeah. What a special group of women they were. You know, the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps was founded on May 14, 1942, by by legislation that signed by President Roosevelt. There were not women in the military at that time except Army nurses and Navy nurses in relatively small numbers. So this was the introduction of women, all volunteers, uh, to come and serve during World War II and to perform jobs that would let men, release men to go to war. Uh, I'll tell you, it, what an amazing thing. The Army director at that time, a woman named Ovita Kopabi, at one time was commanding 100,000 women, wow. volunteers, as a colonel. Right. If it had been a man, he would have had three or four stars on his shoulder. But she was occupying the only colonel's billet that the Women's Army Corps had. Mm. So, yeah, you, I can well imagine she was proud. You know what, when she came on active duty? I certainly can really. I have all the information on that. But, you know, here we are today. And, you know, growing up as kids, you see these role models. My, my aunt was a super role model for me. You know, she was out of Georgia. Her and her family, her husband also in military out of Georgia. And I, I just so appreciated that, that the minute I turned 17, I attempted to join the Air Force thinking as a young woman that I'd be able to fly a jet. Well, back in the day, that wasn't possible, but we are in a different world today. And let's talk about totally your career, right? Let's talk about you. 
in the time of your well, service, you, go ahead. Okay, uh, I had never intended to have the military as a career. <laughs> I was going to have a two-year interlude of training as a lieutenant uh, and serving. After I had worked for seven years in Washington, D.C., after college, at various organizations where the glass ceiling was down around my ankle, <laughs> I was with the FBI. I was with the FBI when women could not be agents. I was with the Washington Daily News, and when they offered me a staff job, they wanted me to write about foods and fashion. I didn't want to write about foods and fashion. So I went to work for Blue Cross Blue Shield, and they made me the enrollment secretary very quickly, and I could run the sales department, but I could not be a salesman or sales manager. Mm -hmm. That was all men's work. So these were the constant disappointments and limitations that I ran into, despite the fact that I had worked so hard to get that college degree I thought would give me a leg up. It didn't. They only wanted to know if I could type. Anyhow, 1989, October 1st, after 30 years, I retired from the service. And I stayed because I was in there during the turbulent years when, when uh, every change under the sun was coming up. Women's rights, uh, human rights, uh, the, the fight over Vietnam being the most unpopular war imaginable for the young people, yeah. the disturbance among the young people about this war. And in I come, well, one thing we knew, the draft is going to end yeah. in 1973. And that meant that the service, they're going to have to scramble to find how they're going to so-called man the force in the few two years, they would have to greatly increase the number of women. And in doing that, they had to tear down all the statutory and regulatory barriers that precluded the broad assignment of women throughout the spectrum of Army jobs. And I just happened to be at the open door and some of these things happened. Brigade command, battalion command, fort command, uh, assignments at Department of Army, schooling at the War College, all of these things happened after the draft ended. So I walked in at the right time and just happened to stay the course. What gets me is when people talk about, you did this first and first and first. I said, yeah, but there were women lined up behind me who were so eminently qualified to do anything I ever did, but because they were not able to take those jobs, they never had the opportunity. Yeah, I so mean, now we're at least in the middle. Yeah, I mean, isn't this really the conversation? And thank you so much for coming out and speaking about this, because you know here we are talking about what has changed, where are we today, and getting ready for honoring our bets, right? And so this is really a time to look at supporting uh, women, but also getting educated and understand. What work is being done for greater equality, equality, uh, equality in the military, right? So let's talk about that. It is, it is amazing. The, all of the constraints that were placed upon us who were serving back in the early 60s, up until 1967, when a woman could not be promoted above the rank of lieutenant colonel as an officer or the rank of sergeant first class as an enlisted woman by law. And the numbers of women was no more than 2% of the regular Army force at any time, which was just minuscule in a sea of 500,000 men. 
I remember going to the Commanding General Staff College as a student, one of six women while there were 1,200 men. So I was the only woman in my division, in my, my unit, and I introduced myself to them as their token whack. I said, I'm your one and only woman, and you won't have another one around here. Mm. But that was the story of for so much, a handful of women and a sea of men. So to really get equity underway, we had to take down all the barriers that kept women from being assigned in any of the units, and that has happened. Happened in 2016. Hmm. Women conceivably now can command a combat battalion or a division if they have the rank and experience. They can be generals, they can be colonels. These things they could not be. But all just stay in the course and watching and being part of these changes over time has been a thrilling experience. I'll tell you who does a wonderful job with veterans, and that's Kellogg's. Yes. I'm here as their guest, and they have a marvelous program to in, to enlist the services of men and women who are veterans, bring them into the force, because they know these men and women are bringing in skill sets that they only have because they served in the armed forces. And they bring that to the workplace, and then Kellogg's will give them the job and train them to do it. So they're getting a double bargain with those veterans, and they want more of them. Well, let's talk about what they're doing to do it, because, you know, without this kind of support, this just becomes a lot of, you know, chewing the fat together, me and you. Um, but this oh, is I an know. action. This is, and somebody, this yeah. is Kellogg saying, we got to do something here. And they are doing it. They, they have got, uh, I think uh, the count I got this morning of the number of veterans that they have employed here locally is over 800. Yeah. And there, we know that there are many more out there if we can attract them to come. Now, many of the veterans are reluctant to come forward because they don't think they have anything to offer. Yeah. So we're having to make the veterans understand that the skills that they have to bring to the workplace are far more formidable than those of those of their compatriots who don't have this experience. Well, you, it's and, a, I, it's a constant, you and I can do an entire hour talking about what is learned in the military. My aunt would talk about what she, I mean, we could fill up an hour in a nanosecond because what you learn, oh, yeah. the level of respect, the level of discipline, the level of precision, the level of commitment, the level of chutzpah, where else do you get that from? The only place where I got it, I got it over a 30-year period in the Army, and every door that opened up to take me higher and higher and higher was just, to my great amazement, I never expected any of it. Mm. Because I thought I would have a limited career. Right. Uh, even if I stayed for 20 years, I'd never be more than a major, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then things changed, and how they changed. We're doing... Better in the Army, we're not there yet. We still have pockets of resistance to the idea of women serving in combat. But the thing is that every MOS, every military occupational specialty, is now open to man or woman based on their achieving uh, success and fulfilling all the requirements of that job without any difference in the requirements women have to meet 
and the men have to meet. So it's wide open. And we do have women now serving in infantry, armor, field artillery, and air defense, but they're not down in the fighting units yet. Well, I want to thank you for today, and I know you've got a busy day, and I know you've got a, 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 a bunch of these shows to do, so please tell us how we can find out more information. And then, you know, uh, for me, what's your personal message? What would you like to leave us with here today? Again, thank you. Okay, thank you. Well, uh, they can go to the website KelloggDiversityAndInclusion.com or KelloggCareers.com and look at the veterans page and they'll find out more about the employment of veterans here at Kellogg. Uh, my message for today is that Veterans Day should be viewed as a time to remember the service of well over 2 million people in America who gave up two or more years of their lives to serve. And it is not to be remembered as the day when the sales are out there like crazy, offering you coats at half price and that. That's not memorial. That's not Veterans Day. Veterans Day is a day of remembrance. And uh, that would be my message for today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us here today. Hello, everybody. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our fabulous, innovative news segment. Today, for Veterans Day, it reminds all of us to step back, stop for a moment, and thank our veterans for their service and their honor. But today, we're here to talk with you about the VA. Joining me here today, Dr. Amanda Hunt, Portfolio Manager, Office of Research and Development, Department of Veterans Affairs, and Dr. Paul Rutecki, National Director of VA Epilepsy Centers of Excellence Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, thank you both for joining us here today. And one of the things I want to say coming out of the gate, thank you for joining me here today. I do believe that the public has no idea of why we are even talking about epilepsy today. And I want to start there. Can we start with you, uh, Dr. Hunt? Of course. Well, November is National Epilepsy Awareness Month, which is one of the reasons we're here. Yeah. And November 11th, as you mentioned, is Veterans Day. And, and so what's the link? So epilepsy is especially important to veterans because they're actually at a higher risk for developing epilepsy. And that's partly due to in-combat traumatic brain injuries they may have experienced. And so, so what is epilepsy? And, and a lot of people think of it as their, your traditional uh, seizure uh, jerking on the ground. Um, so it's a medical condition that is characterized by seizures. And they are results of abnormal electrical activity in the brain. And it's a very heterogeneous disorder. You can have lots of different types of seizures. And so it's very important to see your neurologist, uh, your doctor, to figure out if it's truly epilepsy and what is causing it and what type you have. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And it is really for everybody listening. I think we need to build the gap and bridge the gap, so to speak, uh, over some of the statistics regarding our vets, right? Yes. And so, you know, basically the VA Epilepsy Centers of Excellence were established by Congress because of concern about post-traumatic epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And uh, that definitely is a concern for veterans and, and the public as well. So there are these 16 sites that you can find on our webpage, um, which is uh, 
epilepsy.va.gov. And they are all more than happy to evaluate any veteran who presents uh, themselves to the, the one of the centers. But more commonly, um, patients should uh, initially see their primary care physician, go over things that may um, uh, be uh, of concern to them regarding possible epilepsy or things that look like epilepsy. Their primary care physician would then follow up with further testing, including probably an electroencephalogram or brainwave test, and then if necessary, refer them to a neurologist. Uh, we have a network of over 59 other VA medical centers where there are neurologists or specialists who refer to us when the diagnosis is really in question and requires um, actually hospitalization and recording um, the seizures to, to exactly define what's going on. Mm. Um, do you think the there's a question for both of you, actually. Um, I, I'd like to know, starting with you, Dr. Hunt, um, I would like to know what you see are uh, your top one or two things that the public should know that perhaps they don't know. And then from you, uh, Dr. Paul, what are the challenges that you all are facing to really move this initiative forward? So, hi, that's a wonderful question. So, one thing the public may not know is that the VA conducts research. We have 90 medical centers across the country with researchers, both clinicians and PhDs, who are, who are conducting clinical research, that's research with human subjects, as well as preclinical research, that's research on, on animal models, uh, really looking at the mechanisms of all the diseases that could affect veterans. And <clears throat> any veteran who participates in a study, it's entirely voluntary and does not affect that veteran's access to care and doesn't affect any of their benefits. And we always consider safety and confidentiality the top priorities of any clinical studies. Yeah, thank you for saying that. You know, that is, by the way, my experience in interviewing the director uh, and also all of us here being advocates for that. And, and the reason I asked that question is I am pretty sure the public is not quite aware of how active and innovative you all are in the research arena. And that is something I want folks to know. Dr. Paul, how about you? Well, I, I think it's important for um, the correct diagnosis to be made for people with epilepsy. And unfortunately, although we've got very good drugs to treat epilepsy, about a third of patients with epilepsy uh, have seizures that do not totally stop with medication. So those patients really need specialized care, and that is available in the, the VA through the Epilepsy Centers of Excellence. Uh, it requires coming in and actually having your seizures recorded. And what we find in that case is that there are some people who have seizures that come from one area of the brain that um, continue despite medication, and brain surgery can be done to uh, treat that and potentially cure them. There's another subgroup of patients who really aren't having epileptic seizures, but are having other symptoms that appear to be seizures, either symptoms related to, let's say, cardiac dysfunction and passing out because the heart's not working right, or some people have other problems, usually PTSD, 
and uh, setting where they're having symptoms that are not epileptic seizures, but are what we call psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. And these are real, they're important to diagnose, and the treatment is totally different than the treatment for epilepsy. Mm. So for people whose seizures are not controlled, they really need to be thoroughly evaluated, and there are ways to do that within the VA healthcare system. Mm. I, I, let's talk a little bit about this initiative, but before I get there, um, I would love for people to find out more about what we're talking about today. What's the best way for folks to do that? Well, sure. If you want to find out what kind of research we do, then the website is research.va.gov. And if you're particularly interested in epilepsy, you can go to epilepsy. .va.gov, and that will link you up with the Epilepsy Centers of Excellence, and you can really see what they're all about and what kind of research studies are being done there. Well, thank you. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this uh, because there is some confusion, I think, whether, you're, whether you've served in a military here or, or not. I believe there is really quite a bit of confusion around what is epilepsy and what is not. Um, and I know this because of our own initiatives that we've done over time to really shine a light on new innovative health, sol health solutions, including some of the new innovative holistic treatments. Um, but I want to ask you, what do we need to know so that people can identify or begin to identify epilepsy versus something else? Who would like to take that question yeah, Paul. I'd be happy to take it. Paul. Yeah, it could be it could, it could be really difficult, and uh, believe me, I've been fooled tons of times. So the the actual best way is really having people come in and having their episodes recorded. Now that takes um, you know a bit of effort to to be willing to do that. We are developing some other new innovations that um, uh, are are just coming out now in terms of various ways to monitor, some, monitor someone as an outpatient regarding whether or not they're having seizures. Most of these now work better for people who are having frank convulsive seizures where they're actually getting stiff and jerking. And there are a couple devices on the market now that can detect these episodes and distinguish whether or not they're a seizure. Um, this is, I think, you know, something for the future um, to, to really uh, exploit and use. There are also other ways to actually, at your house, have EEG and video recording done. Um, that tends to be, can be very successful, but obviously you have to capture one of the episodes. Uh, and there are companies now that um, work with the VA to be able to provide those services. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, and probably you both can't talk about it, but um, we've been sort of watching a group of folks, some are vets, some are not, and the response they're having to um, new treatments like uh, hemp oil and certain forms of oil that oh, yeah. come from, yeah, I mean, the results are staggeringly amazing. And I'm not sure that you guys, you know, venture into that arena, but it is something to keep your eye on. Well, just for your information, there is a medication that's FDA approved that's about to be released that's basically a cannabidiol. Wow. So it is really a, uh, what is in certain hemp oil, yeah. and, but this is manufactured in a way that meets FDA standards. 
I love Whereas it. most of the hemp oil and stuff doesn't. So yeah. Yeah. not and that it doesn't work, but it's just not as tightly controlled. I know. One of the things, I know I'm off script now, but I'll just mention it to you. For four <laughs> years, I've been searching for a company. And I went to an event in New Jersey and I walked in and I accidentally leaned to the right to go look at something. And there is a woman out of Colorado, completely organic hemp oil and process beginning to end pure, the distillation, everything right here in the United States. Uh, And we are testing it right now. It is amazing, unbelievable. Mm. So please don't give up on that part of it either. (laughs) I don't think anybody will. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, there's a lot we can talk about and probably a lot that we're not going to get to. And I know we have a short period of time. I'd like to ask each of you uh, the same question. Um, how do you see the public helping and contributing uh, along the way to this? And what would be the call to action that each of you would like to see? And please go ahead and mention the websites again. Mm-hmm. All right. So thanks. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to, Turn it around a little bit and say that the, the research that we're doing in the VA is applicable to the population as a whole. And so anything that we discover about these diseases and disorders that we're studying can be applied to others, not just the veterans who have those diseases and disorders. And so, again, we need to, we need to thank our veteran patients who are conduct, uh, participating in the conduct of these studies. And I guess my only call to action is um, if you're interested, please, please educate yourself on, on what kind of research we're doing because as you mentioned I think a lot of people don't realize the VA does research and research.va.gov and we have all of our exciting results uh, posted on our website. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for today. How about how about you Dr. Paul? Yeah so I would say that I think public the public needs to be aware of epilepsy. It's a relatively common condition greater than one percent of the population. There's a lot of stigma with epilepsy where people think that someone who has epilepsy is inferior in some fashion or another, and that's not necessarily the case at all. And in fact, there are very uh, famous people and well-known people who have epilepsy who have been very successful. Um, And really, uh, I think people should know what to do if someone is having a seizure. Uh, Some of that sort of information can be found on our website, which is epilepsy.com. Uh, va.gov um, and really you know being aware of things and um, and knowing what to do in the ca- in case of an emergency one of the things I would say just is there is this myth that you should put something in someone's mouth who's having a seizure and that's absolutely the wrong thing to do so there are a lot of misconceptions and um, so I would say the call to action is to have people learn more about epilepsy and um, how to take care of people who are having a seizure. All right. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. One more time. Website? Research.va.gov. Awesome. Thank you both for taking that message out there. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back. 